Inside the Bearcats podcast. I'm Paul Daner Jr. and I'm here to take you behind the curtain of UC Athletics where we'll discuss all the topics that UCU care about and quite a few that you really don't care about. All right, let's go. Eight seconds to go. SK dribbles into the front court. Joe Patkin pulls up from three. His shot. Good! 2.5 to go. Joe Patkin buries one. Green out to Abernathy, looking for a block. He's got it. Down to the 10, the 5, touchdown, Bearcats! All right, welcome to the latest edition of the Inside the Bearcats podcast. I, of course, am Paul Daner Jr. here with you. And we are high atop at the 19th floor at the Inquirer building here with uh, longtime UC beat writer Bill Cook. Now, you, you've been... Bill, th- first, thanks for coming. But uh, you've been doing this for a long, a long time. When was your When was your first day on the job at the post? That was That was back. my first day. Y- yes, oh, not covering UC. Just, yes, okay. yes. October. I think I think I can remember this. It's like October second. Yes, nineteen seventy eight. Wow. I had spent six months toiling at the Chillicothe Gazette. <laughs> sure. I left because I couldn't stand living there anymore. Uh-huh. I came home. I did not have a job. Um, anyway, eventually I got hired by the Post to work in what, what they called a satellite edition in Claremont County. I was covering Claremont County High Schools. Wow. Which is where probably a lot of people think I still should be. <laughs> <laughs> now, what was the what was the first, was it a strong baseball, high school baseball tilt or something like that? That was your first assignment? or did you For the Post? Yes. I mean, um, no, it was October, so it wouldn't have been Oh, baseball. football, yeah. It would have been football, but I honestly... I blotted that out of my mind. I don't remember. What it's it not was. framed. I imagine it is being framed <laughs> no. somewhere in your house. No, it's not. <laughs> but uh, no, you, so you've been doing. You came and you came to Inquirer. Obviously, it's what 10, 12 years a ago. Over 10, 10 and a half years. Ten and yeah. a half years now. So you've been doing this. But you, yeah. you've seen uh, you've seen quite a bit with UC athletics. Yeah. Anybody obviously that knows about UC has read you plenty of times before. Now. Uh, you now the one thing that's missing from this podcast is I thought about making some cookies for this. You know, <laughs> I'm I've a made disappointed that yeah. you didn't. <laughs> I have made cookies before. Yeah, it hasn't gone exceptionally well. Uh, although I will, you could report they were edible. Correct. Cookies I that they I made. Very, they were very tasty. The they, cookies you made for my birthday party. <laughs> yes, I yeah. did. You had a birthday. I decided to make cookies. Yeah. Now, anybody that uh, reads my blog or listens to this is well aware that probably the kitchen is not my strong suit. Yeah. Uh, I made these cookies, and they did not. When, when they went in the oven, they when I opened it up, I expected to see these beautiful cookies like they're on the box. They just they didn't quite look right. They were sort of thick in the middle and never really spread out. But you know, to your to your testament, and, every, and many other people that were at this birthday event, you ate them. I ate. I ate all of them, <laughs> and, and they did look a little goofy, but they yeah. were very good. And it was it was the sentiment that counted. Yes, she went to the trouble to make the cookies for me. <laughs> I Joe did. K, Joe K of the AP didn't do that. No, he took the easy way out. He just went to City Barbecue and bought a big thing of cornbread. Yeah, exactly. Which was also delicious. Also delicious. Yeah. But you put your sweat. Yes, and toil into that. Hopefully, not too much sweat yeah. in the cookies, but I, they were they, they they came out okay. I wish I had a cookie to offer you. Instead, all I have is a, a, a coffee for myself. But now, uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about. You've obviously had this five part series uh, that has come out this week. Uh, the fifth part came out uh, today. We're doing this this Thursday afternoon right now. Um, it's it was it's sort of a retrospective of where everything involving UC athletics is at right now because 
there's just a lot of people that don't quite have a grip on it because it's such a, a new, difficult frontier. I guess, you know, you, you opened up on Sunday uh, with talking about the, the ACC journey and how that fell short. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, the next thing was, well, we've got all these different conferences that you've been in. I mean, this is a lot of conferences that UC has been in since 1975. Uh, sort of touching into the, the bright future and how the how the university is looking at the current conference situation. Talking with Mike Oresco as well from the Big East, the new commissioner of the American, I'm sorry. Uh, what was, of all the things you wrote, you talked to a, a ton of people for this. What was the biggest surprise that you came away with after everybody you talked to as far as, you know, what you discovered? I don't know if it's a surprise. Uh, I was really impressed by Mike Oresco. I talked to him just earlier this week, and uh, I had set this up. We did it up by phone, set it up with John Paquette from the Big East, and I figured, you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. I had originally wanted to talk to him just to so I, have, so I could have his voice in the last story about kind of looking at the Big East, or the, the new conference and what it was going to be like and how UC fit into it. Well, when he called, um, you know, we exchanged our pleasantries as you usually do at the beginning of an interview, and I said something like, I'll try not to keep you too long, and he said, oh, that's not a problem, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, okay, so he off he went, and that boy was prepared and enthusiastic, and a half hour later, I was still on the phone, and he had all his talking points down, and He's, he's as gung-ho as you could uh, as you could ask from a commissioner's standpoint. And, and he made me, when I hung up, start thinking, you know, you know the UC fans read this or if they could hear this guy talk, um, they're going to think maybe this isn't so bad and, and maybe there is some, some potential here and we'll see what happens. That was the biggest thing, I think, when the, when the Oresco hire happened, mm-hmm. uh, almost everybody universally lauded it. Unbelievable hire. People that knew him from his time at CBS and everything he had done there. And, but now, it, because of all the massacre that has happened, even since his hiring with the Big East and the, everything falling apart and the Granite Rights and all of that, you know, it, it, I think that was kind of lost. That there is a, a pretty strong figure that really understands the business in charge of this, and that's something I, you know, I guess we're all kind of discovering that we'll find out as the American goes forward because he's really going to have to be the face of it. Yeah, he is, and, and he's very well suited for that. You know, and he was hired by Greg Williams, who was not specifically by him, but he was head of the search committee when he was still the president at UC. And uh, I think to a large extent because of his television connections and because the league was going to have Boise State at the time and San Diego State and all those schools, and it was such a far-flung experimental thing that I think they, they, that Greg Williams saw it as, let's try somebody who's not been in college athletics because it's such a new concept. Well, as it turns out, if the first part of his job was to keep that together, he didn't, didn't succeed at that. But if the second part of his job now is to get this new league off the ground and, and promote it, I, I think he's done a good job of starting. Uh, he's gotten off to a good start with that, at least. And, and you asked me the other, su- the other surprise was that Greg Williams called me back. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, he hasn't done a whole lot of interviews since he left. Yeah. And uh, I really was surprised that he called, and he was fairly talkative when I, when I did get him. Yeah, I was actually just going to ask you about that because he's an interesting figure in all of this in that he's no longer a part of it, uh, but was such a central figure in when everything was in the mix and, and really getting crazy there. He faced a difficult landscape. I don't. Th- I think nobody would deny that. I mean, I can't imagine playing both sides of attempting to keep your current conference together while also, obviously, as anybody would be in that spot, keeping your options open, trying to keep UC presentable elsewhere. In talking to him, I guess, how much of a feel did you get for 
could he have done anything different? Does he wish he could have done anything different, or is it was it just a thing that that was just a uh, you know a tough pill to swallow to try and deal with all that? Well, you're right. He was in a very tough spot because at the time, everyone associated with UC was saying the same thing that we want to be in the Big East. Um, I think there was a sense that because of the resources that UC had, they had a better chance to compete in the Big East than they would certainly in the Big 12 or even the ACC. And so they wanted Greg Williams involved in what was, the conference was doing to save it, and, they, and, and at all costs they wanted to stay in the Big East and keep it going well. So, so to expect him to put all those efforts in saving the Big East, which he did, and then it didn't work for whatever reason, but then to criticize him because he put too much effort into trying to save the Big East doesn't seem very logical to me. And he said, as Mick Cronin said, I don't know if you were at that press conference when he his was, contract yeah. extension, he made a point of saying that he knows that Greg Williams was, was trying to get UC position in, other, in another conference when it started to fall apart. Um, and he did verify that he did try a lot of other options. He wouldn't be specific about what those were. But, yeah, he was in a really tough spot. And... Um, I think it's probably a little unfair to to blame him for the fact that the league fell apart and that UC had nowhere else to go. Yeah, I mean, I can't. What could you really do differently? Because in all honesty, what I think gets lost in a lot of this is that where you go in many ways is out of your hands. You can make every presentation. You can make every move that you want to try and do. At the end of the day, those other conferences are deciding who they want. It's, right. it's not like uh, Louisville while they had to go out and present themselves, they did that for years back, five, ten years back from having an 80-plus million dollar athletics budget. It's not like because of one presentation everything changed. Uh, The same way with Rutgers. Rutgers didn't do anything. Rutgers was there as an possible New York market hook, and that is why they're now in the Big Ten. It's not because their president was out there making moves to step the other. While those conversations occur, it's not the reason it happens. And that's one of the things I try to get across in one of the stories is, is why UC has had this problem for so many years. It's not just a problem that's happened now. They've always been in a tough spot because of where they're located, for one thing, um, and also because of their football team. You know, The football program has been very good for the last, what, seven or eight years. wasn't very good for a long time before that. In fact, it was pretty bad. And, and that was always... More often than not, that's what drove UC to find another conference. What are we going to do with this football team? No league seemed to want the football team, so they tried everything they could try. You know, and it was interesting to me while I was doing some of these stories because I've been doing this for so long. I started covering UC in 1986. Were you born then? I was. Yeah. I was. I was six. You were six. I was a very active six-year-old. Okay. <laughs> and I and I covered a lot of this stuff. I mean, I remember um, when the Metro Conference broke up. They were having their spring meetings in Destin, Florida, which I alluded to in the story, and because uh, everybody knew that it was, you know, that something was going to happen that, that UC and Memphis and Louisville were going to press the issue, force the issue, and so a lot of reporters went down to cover those meetings, and I was one of them. Well, I got really sick while I was down there, and I could barely get out of bed. Really? But um, they had a press conference to announce that they had all made nice and they were going to go forward, and they were all on the same page, blah blah blah. So I went to the press conference. Bob Goyne was there. He was a Florida State AD at the time. And I was like, could barely hold my head up. So they get done with all their little dog and pony show, and I'm writing the stuff down. I'm getting up to go back to my room. This is what a sharp reporter I am. <laughs> Rick Taylor, who was the athletic director at UC at the time, says, uh, um, have, you, have you had lunch yet? And I said, no. I said, Rick, I'm really sick. I'm going back to my room. I'm going to go to bed. He goes, you really want to have lunch? Let's go have lunch. No, no, I'm really sick. <laughs> so, 
So eventually, I went and had lunch because I, you know, I, mean, I know a big story when I see it. Yeah, sure. You really, really picked up on that. And anyway, while we were having lunch, he spilled the whole thing to me. He said, "You know, this is this is over. We're leaving this league. We're going to go with these other schools and start the Great Midwest Conference." And that's that's when it started. And I remember I ran into a reporter from the Louisville Courier Journal the next day after I'd written that, and he, someone had told him what I'd written. He said, "You, you're nuts. That's not that's not going to happen." Yeah. And of course, it did. So, um, so for me, it was interesting to do these stories because I lived a lot of it. I covered yeah. a lot of it. How much parallels are there to what's happening? It, it, because it's hard to draw them because what's happened across college athletics the last five years is unprecedented, really, because of the money grab and the power of the television networks. But are there similarities or parallels between some well, of those old I changes think, and moves? I think the big difference for UC, and, and I wrote this, is that in the past when they, they changed conferences, it was always them making the move. They were always seeking something better. But in this case, they got left behind. Yeah. So it's that's a huge difference, I think. But... You know, and going back and reading some of the old papers from even back from when they left the Missouri Valley Conference, you see a lot of the same comments from athletic directors about, uh, you know, how great this league is going to be for us and we, we need this for our football team. And football was always driving everything. So I was, I was struck by the similarities and the problems that they faced, and they were always trying to solve, which um, they still haven't solved, apparently. I mean, they still yeah. have a stadium that needs to be fixed, and I, they have plans to do that. And uh, they still have a, and I don't not blaming it on football now yeah. because I think the football has righted itself as yeah, far as on the field for sure has righted itself and mm-hmm. is now an attractive commodity. But now they just you know they've just been left out of the mix. That's really the the mind boggling part of it for the administration that you see right now is we fixed the football thing, which right. was forever right. the issue. The football thing is strong, and now here we are on the flip side. Right. You know, before there were issues trying to fix football. And they were moving forward, moving up, and now football is better. Everything about the school is much more attractive, but because of the tradition and the funding and, and all the TV rights and the way things fall, you end up just barely on the outside at this point. Um, but uh, as you alluded to later on, there's a lot. There are pluses and minuses of this new situation. It really is a whole new landscape. Uh, I know you talked to, to Whip Babcock. And he had this uh, the, the comment of you know this is a really a chance to be a marquee program in a conference. Mick has talked about this since the UC has become relevant again under him in basketball about how every time there's a Big East commercial, so it's Beheim and it's uh, Jay Wright and it's all and it's a uh, John Thompson the third. And even though UC was winning, and even when they were in the Big East title game, you couldn't find UC on any of those commercials because you're fighting those traditions and, and trying to find your way out of them. This really is a chance for basketball in particular to be the head now. You're not going to have that ridiculous depth. You're no longer going to be a part of the strongest basketball conference in the country, uh, arguably. But it really is a chance for the school to develop a higher profile with an entire league pushing it forward. And it's, you know, Tommy Tuberville and Mick Cronin and everything you see offers. Well, I remember when, when uh, Pitt and Syracuse announced that they were leaving. And Mick was the first one to say that. And I, I was kind of surprised that he said it. I remember we were, we were in the hall at Fifth Third Arena and he's. He said this might be good for us for those reasons that you just said, because it's, it was so hard to get any traction in the Big East with so many Hall of Fame coaches and you know top ten programs and, and UC trying to build themselves back up to where they used to be. Um, and he got criticized for that. A lot of people criticized him when he said that, oh, he doesn't want to compete with these schools. He doesn't <laughs> think he can compete. But I think you know to an extent he was right. And 
yeah, it'll be a lot like Conference USA now where UC kind of carries the banner. Um, and they did fine. I mean, they were ranked number one in the country a couple times. Yeah, let, let's not forget, what I love about this is there's so much talk about, oh, what's going to happen now? Those About six months ago, those were referred to as the good old days, right. you know, in the 90s when it was dominating and number one and Kenyon Martin and Damar Johnson and Final Fours and Elite Eights. Uh, you know, you hear so much about how the, a lot of the fan base, well, we want it to be like those days. Well, what you you really kind of have that now. You have the powerful program. You've got stability and a great coach. And now you're back in that, and then you hear complaints about it. When in actuality, basketball landscape is so different than football landscape. That this program, when you can schedule up in non-conference, look at all the schools that have done so well in basketball. Your Butlers, back-to-back NCAA championship games. Even Xavier right across town. There's so many. You schedule up in your non-conference. And this will be no slouch conference either no, with plenty no. of good teams. It's really a great setup, honestly, for the basketball program. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for basketball... You know, I think a lot of people will miss being part of the Big East because it was such a, for, for me, it was such a cool conference to cover. Sure. Because, you know, the teams were so great and the coaches. And, um, the bad thing about it for me was to travel in the wintertime going to the Northeast was not a lot of fun. But anyway, besides, no one cares about that, <laughs> whether it was good for me or not. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's not it's not the, the end of the world for the basketball program no. by any stretch of the imagination. As long as they can continue to recruit, um, and the other thing I think that I'll miss is Big Monday, the Big EC. Yeah. Even if UC wasn't on it very very often, um, it was cool to be able to sit there and watch those games and you know know that this was like the feature thing for ESPN that night, mm-hmm. and that UC was in that league. Yeah. You know, that I covered that league, and that you know that was part of what we did here. And that's gone. You're never going to get that back. Like Mike Oresco said, you're never going to get the Big East back. It's um, it was maybe the greatest basketball conference ever, but this is still going to be a pretty good basketball conference. And, and you can and, and before people, you know, that's really the sad element of the entire you know, dissolution of the Big East. But the same thing is true. You'll never get the Big East back in even what's currently called the Big East no. with those ten schools. While nice, it's still not the same tradition and power and everything you used to see. And college basketball is so different; it's almost impossible. But can you happen? The ACC may be the closest thing you see I was to that. Say, at this point. If UC did get back, did get into the ACC, being reunited with Pitt and Syracuse and Louisville. And then have you know, Duke in North Carolina. That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, now you talk about, I mean, there's even conversations. The ACC's poking around with Madison Square Garden to see mm-hmm. if they could get something open there. I mean, if the ACC suddenly infiltrated Madison Square Garden or even turned it into a new school thing with the Barclays Center there in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. you could see that could be sort of a reunion of building that tradition. Man, yeah. boy, would that be yeah. something to go watch for sure. Yeah. Um, but honestly, with mo- with most of the moves we, we talk about is is the football program and how to build it. And you know, it's it's not all down and out with the football program either, as you you, you wrote about at the end. I mean, this is a, a football program that's won so many games the past few years. Now, it's a little different because of the significant monetary differential between the major five conferences and everybody else, but. Can, I guess the question is, how much can winning and possible, and you know, you have to dominate this conference basically. Uh, how much can that offset the monetary differential, and what difference can that make over the next, you know, five to ten years, or whatever the plan is? I don't know that that can offset the monetary mm-hmm. differential. I think the only the only way, and, and Whit talked about this, the only way, the best way, I guess I should say, that they can increase their revenue 
overall for the athletic program is to do what they're doing with Nipper Stadium, and that's the, the premium seating. And that's the that's the piece of the puzzle that they've always missed. They don't get that that funding source that other schools get. Well, they're they're trying to take care of that. Um, so that'll help to some extent, but they're not going to. They're never going to make in this league as much money as they would make if they were in the ACC. That's yeah. just a fact of life. Um, but on the other hand, UC has done a good job over the last decade or so of making do with less. I mean, they've won a lot of football games with a football program that doesn't have nearly the resources that, that some other schools do, and I think the same is true with basketball. So, if anybody knows how to do it. They've shown that they do know how to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at, I mean, it's been the running joke around there, the team that's picked fourth and fifth in the conference every single year and ends up in first place at the end. It was it was just a running tradition there for, the well, five of the last six right. years, team that shared, uh, that shared titles. Um, you know, it, you talked a little bit about what UC has to sell, and you mentioned the, the brochure that they've had out there, the Now is the Time, This is the Place, which featured a number of different facts. You know, only seven schools have 10-plus wins in five of the last six years. Uh, they've won a share uh, or the title of, of uh, more than any more times than any BCS program. Six, uh, six years in the BCS, they've been, ranked, they've been ranked higher than all the ACC schools except for Virginia Tech, which is at 16th. Right. That was a crazy fact to hear. You know, you, never, you don't even think about that. that uh, speaking of surprises, th- a lot of the things in that brochure really surprised me. Mm-hmm. What gave me that... Uh, during an interview I did with him a few weeks ago, and I took it home and I looked through it, and I, I you know, I went to UC and I grew up here and I've covered it. And even I went, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> especially as mainly on the academic front. Right. A lot, some of the academic, um, the the standing that it had nationally, I was really surprised by that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really has become a premier academic school, and all, part of the academics. You know, and was such a huge part that nobody ever talks about when Mick took the job was him turning over and cleaning up the program both on the court, off the court, and in the classroom. And, you know, his academic progress has been between 980 and a perfect thousand uh, for six years. I mean, it's, he, he, you know, we talk, uh, you know, on my blog, on these podcasts, anytime anything I write, I, I talk about that a lot about the un. The unseen that Mick has done with the program beyond just on the court that a lot of people don't see. That's a big part of it. It's been a big part of them turning around uh, the image and everything that's, that's been that's, a big part. That's exactly right. Part of, the, part of the, the problem they've had with their image over the years, and it's a national image, is, is a lot of it still stems from the Bob Huggins years. Yeah. Um, the, the perception that the basketball players didn't graduate, that they were always getting in trouble. I think a lot of that perception is still there. Um, and it, it takes a long time to erase that. Yeah, um, it, it shouldn't be there now, but I think to some extent it still is. Yeah, I mean, really, uh, you know, comparatively speaking, almost nothing has happened. You know, it, the unfortunate thing of the Xavier incident was it, it brought back that image, even though th- this team and even those guys were clean you know, no trouble guys, all of a sudden they see that and instantly connect back like it's 2001 again, uh, and there's, you know, all the things that went but, wrong. But there. I will say this, I think that incident also um, helped Mick immeasurably because of the way he handled it, and I think that went a long way towards starting to, to change that image because I have people tell me all the time that are just, you know, maybe from out of town or just or maybe casual fans or maybe or even Xavier fans in town that how impressed they were by the way Mick handled that and, mm-hmm. and, and 
how they were not very impressed by the way Chris Mack handled it. Yeah, well, I can tell you, uh, I've talked Dan Horde and I have talked about that a number of times. Tommy G and I have talked about that a number of times. It, it's crazy when when the when the the you know most difficult situation arises, how it can completely change everything for the better. You know, and I thought it really stuff that you and I have seen Mick handle things not on that level, but similar. Just like that, many times, you know how great he is in the what he, in his values he stands for, and how much he stands up for that. No matter how bad it sounds, a lot of people don't see that stuff because they don't care about uh, maybe a disciplinary action in November or something like that. Uh, so it was nothing new for anybody that had been around the team as closely as we had. But for so many people, it was oh. This guy is yeah. really strong. This guy <laughs> means, he means what he says. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that was interesting. But you know, back to what you were what you were saying. So all of these things about the bright future. Did you find in all the people you talk about, whether it be at UC or connected to UC from the outside, was optimism the presiding thing, or is there still an, an angst or a frustration, or or I guess where was where's the 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 tenor at with, with everything or with anything? That's a good question. I, I think uh, the sense I got is that uh, from UC people as well, we're in this league and it's up to us to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. There's still that also that sense that we'd rather not be in this league. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I don't think there's any anybody would be surprised by that. It's obvious where they want to be. Mm-hmm. And, and I even asked Mike Oresco about that. You know, you, you're talking about moving this league forward. You got two schools that been pretty vocal about not wanting to be part of it mm-hmm. um, you know how much of an issue is that and he answered that well he, he said well they're in the league now they're still committed to winning and you know if something changes we'll deal with it then but um, yeah I, I, I still think I don't think there's any question that at UC there's a sense that they've been left behind yeah and they're, try, and they're, and they're left to make the best of, of a not ideal situation that's got to be an interesting relationship when you're with Babcock and Mike Oresco, or even UConn with their AD situation. I mean, how do you handle it? It's, it's very obvious. It's sitting here. It, it, it's like having a girlfriend and saying, I've been open about the fact that I'd rather be dating her. <laughs> <laughs> However, we're still together. Can we just kind of not fight? You know, it's, 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 it's an interesting relationship yeah. to try and pull off. But, you know, it's in both sides' best interest right. for UC to be great and right. try and dominate this conference. Right. And that's really the way both sides have to look right. at it because – Mike Oresco knows as good as anybody, UC and UConn uh, and South Florida to a lesser extent will be what helps carry this program forward. So they got to kind of latch on to those coattails as unstable as they Absolutely. may be. Absolutely. And, and if UC succeeds and moves the conference along at the same point, you know, in my mind, even if, that, even if UC has such great success over the next few years that for some reason the ACC or the Big 12 invites them to leave, they've done their job for the new conference. They've helped that new conference move forward. I'm not sure. I don't know if Mike Oresco sees it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you're right. It would be a win-win for both of them. And college athletics changes so fast. It could be a year from now, and we yeah. could be doing a whole. You could be doing a whole new five-part series yeah. on how everything changed in one year. Well, I remember, you know, when, when UC went into the Big East, I did a, a entire special section on UC into the Big East, mm-hmm. and here's what these schools are about, and here's what they offer, and how here's how UC fits in. And just like the people at UC, I never ever dreamed that eight years later. They'd be gone. Yeah. It's just amazing. And we had the Big Ten commissioner just the other day when asked, 
if he thinks realignment is dead, he said, dead is a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> so we may not be just done quite yet. You right. really never know. If there's anything we've learned, is the second you think it's over, it ain't over. They could be in talks right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you really don't know. Well, I, you know, Bill, I appreciate you coming and joining me. I know you've got millions of stories we could we could share, whether it be about... Bob Huggins or Mick or Brian Kelly or any number of the great people that you've come with. We'll have to come back and uh, rehash some of those. That would be great. That would be fun days. to do, actually. I don't know how many of them we could actually tell. Yeah, we'd have, well, I, I got editing. I have editing uh, okay. stuff. We can we can definitely cut some stuff out right. <laughs> that, that, that they would look. But I, I would love to, to discuss this one question. Who is the better post-game interview, Mick, Huggs, or Brian Kelly? Those three. He, uh, on a head-to-head-to-head, who? I mean, that's tough. That is tough. You, we've we've been in some. I, I, I can, wasn't around I for can the. I tell you this: Huggins was good only when he lost. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and he was really upset. He was good then. Yeah. Mick and Brian Kelly were always good. Just off the top of my head, sitting here, I would almost. I think I'd have to say Mick. Yeah, yeah. I would. I, I. I mean, I wasn't here for, but the tail end of Brian Kelly. Uh, and I've obviously experienced plenty of making heard enough stories about both to know how entertaining they were. And I, you know, when I was younger, grew up you know, in my teenage years listening to a lot of Bob's early press conferences where on the radio he it would just sound like someone just kicked his dog as he yeah. as he, <laughs> as he went through the losses. I noticed you didn't include Butch Jones in on that. I, I didn't. I didn't. It, he was not known. He was certainly not known for his uh, his nugget. Nugget giving out uh, yeah, after games. Which I pointed out to him quite frequently. Yeah. <laughs> Butch, while he won many games, didn't uh, didn't win many press conferences with delivering uh, nuggets of gold. But that's okay. Yep. That's okay. I don't think anybody cares about the nuggets of gold but me and you. That's right. Uh, all they care about is the W's, and there were plenty of those. So, uh, anyway, appreciate you coming and joining me. We'll have to come back where we can rehash plenty of those, those more stories. And uh, definitely enjoy the five-part series. Everybody, if you haven't gone out there and read it, obviously, Cincinnati.com, I'm sure you've been there head over there and uh check out all of it it's fantastic stuff bill thanks for joining me thanks paul